0: us today. It's better because you're here. You're not convinced. You know, the beautiful thing about a corporate gathering is that we all bring something to that mix. Think about it for just a minute. When you come, you're here for a reason, I hope, unless someone drags you here, but I guess that's still a reason why you're here. But when you came, you brought Something with you. Maybe you brought something to give. Maybe you came with a need and needed to receive something in the place where you are. The most beautiful thing about the corporate gathering of the saints of Jesus Christ together is that when we all come together, there's giving and receiving, there's exchange, there's all these things that happen in the spirit realm. And it's why the book is very, very clear that we're not to forsake the gathering together of the saints, especially as we see the last day approaching. And I hope you we heard about it last night. We've been hearing about it in a lot of what I've been sharing. I think that if, unless you have your head in the sand, you can sense that um, things are changing. The end is approaching. The chaos that's on earth now is, as Pastor Andy said, it's going to get worse until it gets worse. <laughs> and if you're just of the world, that's a very depressing thing to hear But if you're a person of faith in Jesus Christ, that's a very exciting thing to hear because you realize that the way of the righteous winds ever upward until we sit with him in glory. It's the way of the world that's winding down into what it's winding down into. The laws of entropy have been in play from the very beginning of time. Things that are set in motion eventually come to rest. Things that are set in order eventually come to a place of disorder. These are the laws that govern nature and govern the planet that's governed by sin, unfortunately, but in the kingdom of light, we have a different reality where we're born again of a new seed. And we've talked about this so much lately, but last night it was so just powerful and I know not could, everybody could make it out. I know some folks watched online, but there was such a beautiful touch of God's hand in hearts and lives last night because of what each individual person brought to that room full of people. And he was meeting people where they were. They were meet people that were full and ready to give away, were giving away what he had given them to the other people. And I just want to encourage us, as we see the day approaching, when you gather together, be mindful that when you come to a room like this, it could be a small prayer meeting in someone's home. It could be the prayer meeting that we'll have here on Wednesday night, our corporate prayer night, second Wednesday of each month. Um, when you come, you bring something. You either bring in maybe an appetite. Maybe all you can bring is your appetite. Thanksgiving's coming up soon, right? Sometimes if someone else is doing the cooking, all you got to do is just bring your appetite. Come hungry. And that's all that's expected of you. If that's the place you are in life, then come to this room. Come hungry because that will draw something out of heaven for the need that you have. If you've been overfilled to overflowing with his love and his grace and he's just blessing your life, then come with that abundance of what's in you to give away to the people that have come with a need in their heart. In this way, we fulfill what Jesus told us, and that was through the Apostle Paul, don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves to worship and to praise and just to be together, to minister to one another and to be in his presence together because in that place... There's a divine exchange that's happening, and for some people who don't look for that or aren't intentional about that, it just feels like another week and in the same building you were in maybe last week or the week before, and it's like, oh, you, you think, wow, that was a better song list, and we get comparative, or we think, I wish they played that song instead of that one, and we can get all into this distracted place of missing the fact of what God wants to do. He has come to do business with those who have come to do business with Him. It's the God that we serve. He's a God of business. He's a God of exchange. And just look at the cross and you understand that he is willing to pay whatever he needs to pay to complete the transaction, to have access to our hearts and to our lives. He paid it all. He paid the highest price. And I I can encapsulate, I could have easily just taken the notes that I took last night and just shared Andy's message again. But I've just been talking about trying not to regurgitate things. And um, so I just want to, if you didn't Make it here last night. It'll be on Facebook Live. It's on, it'll be recorded for podcasts. You really ought to listen to what Pastor Andy said last night because it's, it's a timely word for the exact day that we're living in, and it's a very specific word for the condition of the individual human heart. And it's just so important that we're on the same page with some of these realities because if not, you know, we start to lose people. People get, they, they drift off and they get isolated and they get off in their own little headspace, And it's so sad to watch because you see the enemy as at work doing that. And I don't want to see that happen to anyone. I want to see us all come into this place of unity and, and intentionality when we come into these places of, of prayer and of worship. And I just, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. This is, these, are, these are timeless messages to me. These are passages of scripture that have been the foundation that has allowed me to stand in the place that uh, my wife and I, Elaine and I, stand in, our family stands in. Uh, we don't believe in, a, in a, a God who's changing his ideas and his plans continuously. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's incredible the stability that comes to your spirit when you just allow your human spirit, which is easily frayed and distracted and tangled up with the things of earth. When you your spirit comes in line with Holy Spirit and you realize, okay, he's the same one that brought Jesus out of the grave. He's the same one that will bring me out of any grave that I find myself in. He's the same one who's promised And if his word was true, then it's true now, and it'll be true in the future. And we've been looking at some of these realities, but the the, the crux of what Andy shared last night, the the hinge for me of his message was talking about King Josiah, how he took over at eight years old to be king in Israel, and the reality of there was a book found in the temple because he sent them to clean the temple. You can read the book of Kings, and I think it's 18, and you can see how this all plays out, but... They found an old piece of the, of the original covenant. was probably the book of Deuteronomy, the way that it's translated. And he began to discover things written there like, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And he he, he just took it. The word got inside of him, and it changed the entire way he governed that nation, even as a child forward. And he was a righteous king following a very evil, wicked king. Manasseh was his father, and he did abominable things and built idols and high places for worship. But when the word got inside Josiah's heart, even at eight years old, he determined that I am going to follow single-mindedly, single-heartedly after this God that Israel was founded by. The promise made to Abraham. And it's so important that we go back to origins. We've been speaking about oranges, but the, do you know the origin of everything that exists comes through one reality? The Word. In the beginning, read the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, and nothing, and everything that was made was made through Him, and nothing was made except through Him. The reality of God's Word is that it's, His power is so infinite that even what He exhales out of His mouth still has infinite power within it. How do I know that? He breathed into dirt and it became a living soul. That's the exhaust. You know, God has lungs. God has a heart. You know, this were made in his image. If you have lungs, you have a heart. It's because God has those. God breathed in and he exhaled the breath of life into clay that he had molded into his image and man became a living soul. The exhaust of God's mouth, his respiratory exhaust still has so much power in it that it turns dirt into that which is made in his image. And I want to look at some scriptures because if you don't understand the significance of the word, it's just like, oh, you think I'm talking about memorizing Bible verses. I am in some, to some degree, but that will not be what happens inside of you when you suddenly come alive, when the word inside you comes to life and there's a rebirth and an awakening, a revelation. When that thing sprouts in you, all of a sudden it's not just the word, oh, yeah, I heard that before, but it's like, oh, I just heard that for the first time. That's the Spirit's work. The Spirit brings the Word to life in you. And we can't negate this. The Spirit was moving so beautifully this morning and last night. And I'm just praying that in the, as we look to Scripture, that the same Holy Spirit that allowed us to feel His presence in worship is the same Holy Spirit that's going to breathe on what I'm reading from the text, just like it changed Josiah's life, just like it changed so many people as we read through the Old Covenant. We see that the Word, when they prioritize that, they lived godly lives. Their history is written about in a favorable way, not in a way where they led the nation into destruction because they were in error and they were just believing whatever they thought was convenient. I want to read this out of the Amplified Version. I don't normally do it. I usually use the New King James. But in Romans chapter 15, verses 3 through 6, I really should have given these scriptures to the uh, sound guys and they could, have, they could have put a cup. these first two are a bit, not too long. Three, three verses. Who's, who can handle three verses? It's church, after all. Is okay if we read the Bible in church? I'm good. I'm glad. In chapter 15 of Romans, verse 3 through 6, it says this, For even Christ did not come to please himself, but as it is written in Scripture, the New, the New Testament part of the Bible is always referencing what they're saying now by what's been written in the Old Covenant. The reproaches of those who reproached you, the Father, fell on me, the Son. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope and overflow with confidence. What was written in earlier times was written not just for our instruction, when you for our learning, but so that we would endure and have encouragement through the same Scriptures, and so we would maintain our hope And listen, overflow with confidence in his promises. When you realize his word was true then and we see it fulfilled historically through the heroes of our faith, we realize that his word hasn't changed now. And if we'll cling to it and we'll internalize it and we'll make it a priority in our life, we will continue to see victory when the world sees defeat. That we would overflow with confidence in his promises. How? Because we have his word in us. The word that was written for our instructions. And it says, Now may the God who gives endurance and supplies encouragement grant that you be of the same mind with one another according to Jesus Christ. So that with one accord you may know, you may with one voice glorify and praise and honor the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we have the word in us, what we give back to God will be a life of glorified praise, thanksgiving. We will live in a place of victory is what it's saying. When you don't live in a place of victory, it's probably because you're not standing on the word of God. You're standing on some opinion or feeling or what someone else says you should stand on. But it's not the word of God. It's not the foundation that doesn't move. It's not following the script that reminds us if you build on that, the storm comes, but that house doesn't fall down. We've got to hear the word and to do it. But it allows us to overflow with confidence. Who would like to have not enough confidence just for yourself, but so that when people get close to you, they feel confident about their faith because your faith is just so confident. It says we will overflow with this stuff. And many of us, myself included, many times when something happens and we see certain things on the news or or, a reality happens and hits our life and we start to lose our own confidence. But the Bible says if we're standing on the word that was written way before, it's not talking about the New Testament. He's talking about the old texts of God's law, his precepts, his wisdom and Proverbs and Psalms. If we base our lives on that, when things happen, we're going to have confidence, overflowing with confidence even in the middle of what's going on in our life or the lives of those around us. I don't know about you. I want to overflow with confidence. If we're not overflowing with confidence, we're probably going to be on the waning side of things, and that's not where you want to be. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. I'll read this in the New King James Version. I want to just drill a few of these scriptures through, and then we're going to hit just a, a, several scriptures in a row because I wanted to say I was I'm discouraged, but I'm not discouraged. I'm challenged. By how many times uh, you just hear it, teachers of the word. When you understand the power of the word, you can't encourage people enough to get in it for themselves. Stop listening to what someone else has cycled for you and then put it on a plate for you. Get in the kitchen, get in the book and start cooking for yourself. Start discovering when you mix some of these truths together, how it can come alive in you, how you can have something to offer someone who's in a really tough predicament, but you have scripture in you, you have truth, you have word, you have God's breath in you, and so all of a sudden you have something to say to the situation. It, comes, it doesn't come through your best intent and your most positive meditation thought processes. It comes through the word of God. Everything that you need in life comes through the word of God. Jesus in the wilderness, all he needed was the word of God. The devil himself is tempting him. He's half starved to death after 40 days, and the devil comes to tempt him, and he just gives him scripture after scripture after scripture, after scripture scriptures that were recorded because they were recorded from the breath that he spoke, and so he's just telling the devil what he already told him when he had it written down thousands of years before, and the enemy had to flee. The exhaust of God's lungs has power over Satan himself. Jesus understood it. It doesn't say he got all hyped up and, 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 and got excited. He just said, It's written. Come on, dummy, you know this. It's written, bud. Not going along with your stuff. It was written, and he had a scripture that contradicted what the devil was telling him he ought to do or how he ought to, what he ought to say. If it was enough for Jesus, I think it might be enough for us. He's the Word made flesh. He's telling the devil out of his own mouth things that he wrote down. It's just powerful when you realize that what we've been given in the Word of God is dynamite power. It's more powerful than any person laying a hand on you and claiming something over you. It's more powerful than by it the worlds were framed by the word of God. The exhaust of what's already, he already took whatever, I don't know if he lives on oxygen or what he lives on, but whatever he breathed in, he took for the good out of it and he breathed it back out, his glory, and it causes dirt to become a person. We'll look a little bit more into that in a minute because it's also impressive what we get to do with that same breath. But in Second Timothy 3, 12 through 17, it says this, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Hope that's not some kind of a spoiler alert to you if you'd never been told that by a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you just read books about positivity and how um, everything's going to be wonderful and you can live your best life now. The only way you can live your best life now is if you're not going to go to heaven when you die. Think about that for just a quick second. It's like one of those grenades. You pull the pin, you throw it out, and you wait for people to get what I just said. The only way you can live your best life now, which is what a lot of people want to try to get Christians to do, is if you don't believe in the resurrection and eternal life where God says you can't even fathom how good it's going to be there. But people cling to things here thinking, I just want to have my best life. I want you to have the best life you can have here on earth. Yes, absolutely, but it's not the best life you're going to live. Heaven's not a consolation prize because, oops, our body died. It's the intent of God's heart. It's the place he went to spend his craftsmanship and his intent to build it in the heart of the Father so that when we expire here, we get to go to the place he prepared. He's been preparing it for thousands of years. Our time. How glorious do you think heaven's going to be? It's not a consolation prize for those whose bodies get tired. It's the heart of his love for us to bring us. He's promising us eternal life. The world needs to understand that we're not just clinging to the stuff until it's stripped away from us. We're clinging to it now because we're called to steward it. But when this life's over, we're going someplace that you don't get to except for Jesus Christ. He says, yeah, you're going to suffer persecution. Jesus was never bothered about telling his disciples what's going to suffer, how they're going to suffer, and how bad it's going to be for them. Why? Because he knew the place he was going to prepare he says, when you get there, your mind, you, you can't even talk about it now. You don't have words for it. The languages will speak. They're unlawful for man to speak even now. It's beyond human understanding. But we try to because we ate of a tree called the knowledge of good and evil. So now our brains are so fragile and so able to be just hijacked by the enemy and get us to bicker and to judge and to have all these opinionations that just i have unraveled an entire people group on the entire human species is unraveled by our opinions and our judgments. It was knowledge we were never supposed to touch and never supposed to have. That was God's job. That's why when we come into Christ, try to stop judging. Let God. Don't worry about revenge. God will bring the revenge. But we struggle to believe that he's actually going to follow through on some of these things. But listen, he says, you're, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you'll suffer persecution. And he also says this, evil men and imposters, they're going to go worse and worse. It's going to get worse before it gets worse. Deceiving and being deceived. You wonder why some of your friends in this culture that we're living in is so passionate about about their deception. It's because they believe it to be true. They're not making it up just to be mean. They believe it to be true. That's their truth now. Deception is their language. They sell it because they believe it to be true. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. It's good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for Paul when he's telling his spiritual son Timothy, Hey, life's going to be hard for you. It's going to be hard for all who choose to live godly in this fallen evil age. But don't worry about it. Take heart and remember that you learned from me the value of the Holy Scriptures. Not the New Testament. The holy scriptures, the law, the precepts, the judgments of God, the fairness, the love your God with all your heart. The Ten Commandments, these things that modern Christianity would love to just throw by the wayside and claim some new grand thing. That's not what the early apostles taught. They referenced everything back to what was written. The book of Deuteronomy comes in and changes King Josiah's heart. Just laws and basic realities of who God is and how you can't have other gods before him and expect to live any kind of life worth, worth living. Which you've, so you've known from childhood that holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise, the world thinks they're wise, but they don't have holy scriptures as their foundation. So we know that they're not. They're wise in their own understanding. The way of a man seems right in the end of his death. But it says that they're able to make you wise. How wise? Wise enough for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. I understand that in, in modern theology, it's, it's fine to take that and they just put the New Testament in. And it's going to be weird. People are going to get thrown by this. I don't really care. Because you've got to take the context of what's being said. He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration. He's talking about the Holy Scriptures. The New Testament wasn't even written yet. The stuff before Holy Spirit came and indwelled the temple, us, what was written, the, just the, what was penned down from what, because so okay, he speaks it, it's exhausted. His disciples and his, his prophets write down the words, so that's third hand, right? It's his spoken word, they write it down, so now it's recorded, it's copied through generations, and still, what he's telling Timothy, what you've read, what you've seen in those texts, those words that are just an echo onto paper from what God actually said, is still so powerful that you can be wise enough to find salvation through that word. Through Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you need wisdom, go to Proverbs. It's known to be the book of the wisest man that ever lived on the planet Earth. God's wisdom, given to King Solomon, wrote the majority of what's found in the book of Proverbs. Ah, it's old, it's outdated, it's whatever, whatever. He's the richest man that lived. There's a lot of wisdom in the book. I think sometimes we struggle with the idea that we have to be taught spiritual truths because we just think, oh, I go to church. That's my spiritual truth. I believe in Jesus. That's my spiritual truth. But he's talking about a deeper learning and understanding of spiritual truth. I mean, in the natural we. Don't deny that we need to get an education. If you're going to go and do a skill, you better start reading the manual on how to at least use the equipment. You've got to learn. You've got to be instructed on how to do certain things or you're going to make a mess. And the Spirit, it's very much the same, but thankfully we don't start from the bottom up. We start from heavenly relationship with the one who wrote the book, and then from there he opens it to us and we get to understand it by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit from what some of the other thoughts I had, because I know time's ticking and I want to go to first Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 He says this, Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you, he's talking to this, this group of people, Paul saying, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, they were the messengers who spoke the word to them, but says, When you heard it from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Do you know when the Word of God is in you, it goes to work? When the Word of God is in you, it goes to work. Effectively. I'm not saying there's not room for other disciplines. The gym is a good place to go if you need to burn calories. Word doesn't do everything, but it does way more than people give it credit for. You need emotional healing, you're having a hard time forgiving somebody, you get in the book long enough, the scriptures are going to start striking that issue in you, and it's going to cut it out of you because you're going to realize, oh, it's not godly to think the way that I'm thinking, and you're going to have to repent about the way that you're thinking, and you're going to have to unleash forgiveness in the direction of the person that you don't seem to be able to forgive. It's required of scripture. It says if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. It's in the book. We don't need to hear a sermon about it. Just open the book and say, this is God's word. He wrote this. Jesus said it. I better get in line with it or else. And suddenly your life is corrected. I mean, how easy was that? You did not need three years with a shrink. You just needed to believe what the word said. Let it get in you, accept it by faith, and it'll go to work in you. It says the, the word does the work in you. How powerful is that? We'd like to say, oh, it's just a book on the shelf with dust on it, but you better get the dust off it because where we're headed forward, if you don't have an anchor to your soul that's rooted in something that's not moving, you're going to drift away. That's what it's prophesied that will happen. I want to look at another reality about the Word of God. It's about the fact that it's it's substance for our physical bodies. Jesus told the devil, He said, It's written, man does not live by bread alone. He's looking back into Deuteronomy of all places. It's written, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's exhaust, when he shapes it into a word, that word carries such power with it that it'll actually satisfy your physical craving. That's what Jesus is saying. In fact, he does it again when he's ministering to the Samaritan at the well. Do you remember? They come back with food. He's been ministering. He's been doing the will of the Father. And they come back and they say, hey, we brought you some lunch because that's what they got. They went to town to do this. Hey, we're going to get food. They come back with food. Jesus says, don't worry, I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> I've got food you guys don't know about yet. His physical appetite was satisfied. He was full just by doing what God told him to do in, in ministry. It literally has a physical effect on our bodies when we stand on the Word and we're not thrown by what we're supposed to be thrown by and we're not following after the things that the world says we ought to have if we're going to be in a certain kind of condition. I mean, the question is this, what fuels us? What fuels our faith? We know that the Word fuels faith, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. Faith is fueled by the Word. If we're going to be a people of faith, it's the Word that has to fuel our life. If it's not the word, it'll be something else. I mean, this is a silly example, but I mean, you put water into your car's fuel tank and it's not going to go well for your car because your car was not designed to be fueled by water. Someday, maybe, you know, if Elon has another few decades, you know, maybe, maybe we'll have car, water driven cars, hydrogen at least probably. But anyway, I digress. It won't go good for your car. Now you take gasoline, which your car needs and put it in your protein shake. It's not going to go well for your stomach. Because we're not designed to run on gasoline like a car is designed. You have to match the fuel with what the thing was designed to burn and to use. The Bible's very clear. The word of God is substance for our life. It's the fuel of our it fuels our faith, which is we're supposed to walk and to live by faith, to just live by faith. Faith is what we need. Fuel is what we need to get there. The fuel is the word of God. Words are powerful, powerful to the point that we know the Bible is clear that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21, if you want to jot that down quickly, we don't have to turn to every, every single thing. Proverbs 18, I'm going to read this, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. Listen to this, this is backwards, hope you can hear the way this is totally backwards. A man's stomach down here will be satisfied by the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. What comes out of your mouth fills down here. Let me read that again. It can't be right. A man's stomach will be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. It's supposed to be that what goes into us, Jesus told the Pharisees, don't worry. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles. It's what comes out of the mouth that has the effect down here. You can be satisfied by what comes out of your lips or you can be satisfied. Cursed or, 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 or made unclean. By what comes out of your lips. By, it says the fruit of your lips, you're going to be filled either with good stuff or bad stuff. Power of life and death. It goes both ways. What's coming out of our lips? What's coming out of our mouths? What out of the abundance of the heart where the mouth speaks from? What's been placed in there? Have we put the word like King David did in Psalm 119? He said, God, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. So that when the pressure comes in, Goliath is there. Rubbish isn't going to come out. Insecurity. and Oh, God, please don't let me die to this. No. I know who you are. You don't have God words. I do. I have a covenant. He told me what he's gonna to do to you. That's why I'm coming at you. And he runs at him. You see the difference? It's not a oh uh, no. man. You don't have God words in you. You don't have a covenant. You're uncircumcised. He tells them he doesn't go at them with his own name. He's not coming at you in the name of the one who gave me a covenant. He had God's word hidden in his heart so that he wouldn't sit on a hill in fear, in sin with the rest of his people. He stood up. We see it as a story of great courage. No, it's just a simple story of not being in sin like every single person in his nation was in sin. Sitting there listening to Goliath spout off his mouth about how they should be afraid of being enslaved by them. Because if he beats their champion, I'm going to take over your nation and you're going to be our slaves. And they sat there and they just soaked it up and fear gripped their hearts. David didn't come in to be a superhero. He came in just to be obedient to what the word was placed in his heart was. He says, how can we sit here? Listen to what he's saying about God. He's saying that about our God that gave us this land. What are we doing? It blew his mind. Why? The word planted in his heart prevented him from sinning against God. For him to sit there and join with his nation, God would have judged him of sin the same way they were all in danger of being judged for sin. And if it wasn't for David, they would have sat there long enough, they would have sent some coward out there to fight, Goliath would have beat him, and then they all would have been enslaved by the Philistines. But again, they're listening to the fearful message, they're listening to the fear, the rubbish, the trash of this world. And they're missing the fact that the only difference was David said, thy word have I hidden in my heart, so that I might not sin against you. In verse 12 of Psalm 119, he says, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Verse 13, with my lips I have declared all the judgments of my God. He internalized it and he began to talk about it. He wrote songs about it. And when Goliath stood there, it was just a matter of where to direct the stone. Death and life and the power of the tongue. The beautiful thing about what, the, what God placed in man when he breathed into him the breath of life is that now The power was so great that even in a fallen sinful world, those earthen vessels with clay and the treasure of heaven within them still have the ability to speak. And the power of life and death can still be found in the words that that triply exhausted breath still breathes out. Because it's the same spirit that inspires the words that Jesus wrote down and what the apostles wrote down and what the prophets wrote down. is the same one who inspires the words of faith if we'll dare to speak them. But you've got to have something in you besides just ideas and opinions and strategies. It's got to be the word. The word. What is Jesus saying? I've said it last week. Have a word between you and what's standing in your way. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Who doesn't want to have good success? We're driven by success. We're a society that acknowledges, celebrates, recognizes, enthrones success by their standards, unfortunately. But success is what we're all supposed to desire. We try something and it works. That's success. You want success in ministry? You've got to have the word meditating on it day and night, contemplating. What did God say? Forget about everybody else. What does God say? Who does God say this little New Jersey sized piece of territory in the Middle East belongs to? He said it belongs to Israel. It belongs to Israel. End of story. You can argue through every media network you want. Every world power can come and put their vote on the table. At the end of the day, if God says it belongs to Israel and his descendants, it belongs to them. Period. That's it. How, do I, how am I so confident? I know the book is true. How does he know thousands of years before Book of Daniel? You talk about Revelation, okay, 2,000 years. You go back into Daniel, it tells exactly how the end of this thing will wrap up, and we're watching it wrap up, and we're getting ready for a bow on top, and people are still like, well, oh, I don't know if we can trust this book. I'm not sure if it's accurate. How do you know this stuff? That's millennia is before it happens in detail, and then still question the author and wonder if he's still good, if he still knows the story that he's writing the end of right now. Come on, if you can't acknowledge that he started it, you're never going to acknowledge that he's going to end it. He's the author, he's the beginner of it, and he's the finisher of it. Excites me, it gets me fired up because we can put, we can anchor everything. You can put all your chips on this one reality. His word does not fail, it will not return to him void. It will accomplish what it was sent to do. Maybe in the time frame that we think is taking too long. Maybe in a different generation than we wished it could have happened in. But it's going to happen. Psalm 119, 97-99. Oh, how I love your law. David's writing more. He says, your law, just the, now remember, we have Holy Spirit now. I'm not negating the Holy Spirit. Now live this is before all of that. Just what David had, what the founding fathers had, what the apostles had. They had this understanding that in Scripture, this is what the power was. It's my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. Who wants to be wiser than the stinking enemy? So, enemies more wise than you are, he's going to pull you into his traps. Unless, like Jesus, you're like, yeah, 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 that sounds, I'm hungry right now. It sounds pretty tempting. I have the power to make this rock into a piece of delicious bread, but just don't even want to go there. He said, don't worry. You're not supposed to just eat that. Man's sustained by more than every rock and piece of bread. He's sustained by every word that comes from the Father's mouth. He says, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. We're always going to have enemies. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. When you meditate on what God has to say, you're suddenly going to find out you have answers where the world has questions. They're supposed to have questions because they don't know the answer yet. It's okay. Don't have to debate and try to argue at their level. They're not going to understand it, but your confidence and overflowing confidence, hopefully, allows them to see that they can listen to what you're going to say when it's time for them to hear it. Psalm 119, 130, we wonder, wonder why David charges Goliath. Listen to what he understood. He said, the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. David never claimed to be the most powerful, wisest person to, and the most powerful warrior. He was a shepherd boy. He couldn't. The, the king's armor who was a coward was, was sloppy on him. He, couldn't, he wasn't even as, as, you don't understand what I'm saying. He wasn't some mighty warrior. He was just a kid. And yet when God's word was in him, it brought illumination to where he realized, oh wait, I have a covenant. He doesn't. Oh, it's like he's in a court of law and he's realizing, oh, I know his judgment's secure. The book writes about those who don't have a covenant. I do have a covenant. And therefore he goes and he does what he has to do. He had enlightenment in his heart, and even though he was a simple shepherd, but he had understanding and he had wisdom. He goes on. Psalm 119 is full. If you haven't committed a passage to memory. Psalm 119 is a a long one, but there's so much in there. I just want to encourage us in closing with this this thought in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. It says, Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, them meaning people that didn't believe yet. They they hadn't received. He says this is what happened. Because the word that they heard didn't profit them, Because it wasn't mixed with faith in those who heard it. I can stand up here and say it in 10,000 ways. Pastor Andy can stand. You can watch on TV. You can read the books. But until you choose to mix your faith with the word that's been declared in your hearing or been written on the page of Scripture, it can still profit you nothing. And Jesus talks about the different kinds of soil. He never calls the seed to task on what's wrong with the seed wasn't as good as other seeds. He said, no, it was the soil that it fell upon. Some was stone. Some was thorny and some was good ground. We have to till sometimes the condition of our heart and make time, be available, tune things out so we can actually listen, make time. If you don't make time to be in the Word, you won't have time to be in it. it doesn't just happen because you have a good intention to do it. It doesn't happen for me or, or anybody else. If I don't make the time to do it, I'm not in the Word. I'm just listening on the easiest thing to do, which is push the button on whatever the cleverest little phrase is under the video and see what Cool, as have, what do they have to say about what's going on in the world? And if you're not careful, you get sucked into a whole bunch of time that people say they don't have any of. But how many of us are guilty if you went back and looked at our phone timers and keep track of how long you're online watching me? Come on. I'll, I'm not exempt from that. But you catch yourself and you realize, like, what in the world? How much better would that last 20 minutes have been if I just, how many scriptures could I have read in that 20 minutes that then something could have risen up and instead of just topical Things coming out of my conversation, I could have been talking to someone about the value of how much God, God's love for them means and how it can be applied to their life. These are these are facts, right ish? And I want to close with Romans 10:9 through13, because I want to realize how much, I want you to realize how much power has been placed in your tongue and what you choose to use it to say or not to say. Romans 10, it's best to read this entire chapter to get the context of everything, but this encapsulates in 9 through 13 the essence of what I want to close with. It says in Romans 10 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. People say, Oh, I believe. Are you confessing that you believe? Are you confessing that he's your Lord? Are you confessing that what he says in his words are what you're going to follow? Or are you just going along with what everybody else says you're supposed to go along with? The power to be saved is found in what the exhaust air from our own lungs, having pulled the oxygen out of it, what that can still do is make words in our mouth. And when those words say the same as what Jesus said, that's what confess means, to say the same as. When it says the same as what he says about sin, about grace, about faith, about how we were saved. And with our heart, we believe that he's been raised from the dead. Verse 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation." I don't know how many times I can say this, but I feel like there's still a couple more times and somebody is going to click for somebody. Sorry if you're bored. Out of your mouth comes a sound, a word in your language. It doesn't have to be English. It can be whatever your language is. But when when out of your mouth comes the reality of who Jesus is, that God raised him from the dead, and he is Lord, he's the highest, he is the one, he's the word made flesh, when it just speaks that, salvation comes to your life. Now if you're a seasoned believer, you probably have embraced Genesis 1-1 in and, and the beginning and God spoke and he said, let there be light and there was light. And you've, you've seen that his voice has that kind of power then. But what if he's then relayed that power on down through us to where fa- oh, this is a fallen person. This is someone who's unregenerated. He's just in sin. He's doomed to be separated from God forever. But even out of his fallen breath that's left in his lungs from the original Adam where he breathed in, even that oxygen that doesn't have long, it doesn't have eternal life left in it, when it forms the word of faith and says, I believe, it can make him alive forever. For the scripture says, how does Paul know that everything he's just told him matters? Because he's going back to the book, the Jewish Hebrew Bible, the, the scrolls. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. How do you call upon someone? I know now we can use our thumbs to do it. I get that. But he's writing to people that if you wanted to communicate with someone, you had to use your mouth and call upon Him. Whoever calls on the name of of the Lord will be saved. I've just presented you the most simple way to present the gospel that I know how. Yes, we were born in original sin. Yes, we were born separated. But with your mouth and the fruit of your lips, this can be satisfied. Or it can be embittered and it can be stirred up and it can be miserable through complaining and unbelief. But through faith, And through a confident saying the same as what God says, his words in your mouth, all of a sudden life can come into the the death. Light can come into the darkness. I know many of us know this, but I guess my challenge this morning after last night with Pastor Andy and listening to the story of Josiah is to say, man, let's start practicing this. He talked about how Josiah first went into his own place and began to tear down anything that wasn't God worship. And then went into the nation and the temple and began to align these other realities of his kingdom, of the place he governed. But at the end of the day, it was the entrance of the word into his own heart that allowed him to realize, wow, there's power in what God says. And there's power in aligning yourself and saying the same as what God says. I don't know about you. I want to be on the correct side. You can't even say the right side anymore because now it's become such a political whack system out there. Nobody even knows what's going on. The correct side, the truthful side. I want to be on God's side of how this thing wraps up. I know that's true for everyone. Let's just stand together this morning. I want to just pray for us. And before I do, I want to just mention, if you're new to this fellowship, we wanted to make sure that... You had a chance to meet with the pastors and key leaders of our church, and so in the room and off the cafe downstairs right after the service, uh, if you just go in there, there will be some light refreshments. Maybe you've been coming for a month or two, or just today's your first day. Whatever that is, we want to periodically make sure uh, we get to meet you, get to know your name, get to put a face to a name, and um, and so that's available. It won't be a long, long meeting. It's just a chance for you guys to meet us as the leadership team here, um, and just pray that we can all grow together as a body. There's no... Big eyes and little use in this church. We're a body together. We all are in this harvest field together. The harvest is ready. Jesus said it was ripe a couple thousand years ago. It's getting really ripe. People need to hear the word of truth that comes from deep within us. Not our own ideas and intellectual stuff, but just now I know. I know the word that changed my life. I know what happened in me when I began to say who Jesus really was. Father, this morning we're standing here in your presence and we're desiring that you would make your word alive in us the way that you promised it would come alive. But Lord, for those of us who've had that word alive in us, that there would be a fresh revelation given to us that as we spend time in that word, as we meditate, as we keep those words at the forefront of our consciousness and don't allow any other rubbish to get in the way, but as we continue to just saturate our conscious thought with your word and with your truth and with the reality of who you've said yourself to be, that, Lord, the benefits of that would begin to just overflow within us, that the confidence that's promised would begin to just come out from us and we couldn't help but talk and to speak of what we've known your word to demonstrate deep within us. Lord, we apologize. We're sorry if we've made it complicated, if we've made it, if we've overemphasized things that were not Based in your word. Lord, we want to be people who are standing when the floods come. Uh, Building houses that stand the storm. And Lord, we know you revealed that it's only through hearing your word and doing your word. That we can build in this way. So, Lord, we're going to practice your word. I pray that you give us boldness and confidence in your word, supernaturally, Holy Spirit, that you just breathe upon the scriptures that were read today, that there would be a spark, an ignition, something within us. That would suddenly see it as if for the first time. That we can actually lean into your truth and you're not going to let us fall. You're not going to drop us because it's not going to hold true. But your word will complete what it was sent to complete. It will accomplish the task that you sent it to accomplish. And Jesus, it's your word alone that stands. He says that you have placed your word above your own name. That you have integrity in you that we cannot understand except by faith. Lord, your promises are true. They are the same yesterday, today, and they will still be true when you come back to receive your bride for yourself as you promised. Lord, we thank you for just purifying us for the fire that, Lord, you've burned away things in our own hearts this morning and in a time of corporate worship. We know that as we leave this place, there's going to be temptation to pull things back into our lives that you have said you've consumed them and we don't need them any longer. So Lord, we just thank you that you go with us, Holy Spirit, to guard us, to protect us, to keep the birds away from the seed. Lord, we desire to be fruitful in this kingdom. We desire to bring a harvest into the barns, more into the boat, Lord, as this age concludes. So Lord, we thank you for this day. We're grateful that you've brought us to light that you have placed light within us, that understanding has come to the simple just because we've been exposed to your word. We praise you for it in Jesus' precious holy name. God's people said, amen, amen and amen. So if you could use prayer this morning, please. We have a, a practiced, seasoned ministry team. We have people of faith ready to join with your faith and see a miracle in your life to see God touch you, minister to you. So come forward for prayer, and if you're new and you just want to spend a few minutes meeting and greeting the pastoral team, we'd love to see you downstairs.